Father, we continue to come to you here today. And we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for salvation in Jesus. Hope, new life in Jesus. We thank you that death is not the end. That for all those in Christ, for all those who love Christ, for those who believe, though we die, yet shall we live. We thank you for that hope, that promise. We give you all the glory. And as we open up your word, soften our hearts and minds to hear from you, to respond to you, and may you get all the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. John chapter 20. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one right there in the seat back in front of you. If not, that's okay. The words will be on the screen in just a few moments. But John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24, 25 in that area. We were in East Texas. Many of you have been to East Texas, but we were in East Texas on a rather warm, very sunny, very nice day. Kind of like the last couple days we've gotten here, you know, this weekend. It's been beautiful. But it was just like that in East Texas when I was about four years old. And we'd gathered in a setting that felt like a family reunion. All these people under this open-air pavilion next to some really tall, thick trees, and people coming by to talk to myself at four years old, and my family saying hello, giving us hugs, people I had never seen before, never seen since, Um, you know, that kind of setting, but I was related to them, fellow Gittelins, I guess, and uh, there we were before a, a long spread of food. Southern family reunion style, baked beans, potato salad, green bean casserole, those warm rolls. Um, I'm getting you hungry, I know, for an Easter lunch. Some kind of meat drizzled in some kind of sauce. Um, All sorts of cakes and pies. You know the setting, right? You, You can picture it. Well, the occasion was not a family reunion. In a way, I guess specifically, we had gathered for a funeral. My granddaddy, we called him. My great-grandpa. And here we were at this cemetery in East Texas, sharing this meal together at this graveside service reception, as they do it in East Texas, at least back then. Well, after the dinner, we'd already had the graveside memorial service there, and after the dinner, I remember us walking around the cemetery, and I remember standing at the foot of my great-grandpa's grave, plots up there, just standing right there, four years old, I still remember it to this day, and I don't know who was around me, there was a lady there, I guess I was related to her, but she was the one who answered, and I remember asking, is granddaddy in heaven. Is granddaddy in heaven? Question you might have asked about a loved one, friend, family member. Is granddaddy in heaven? At such a young age, what I really longed to know was, what next? Where does this, this death, 
Where does it lead to? Where is it all going? What are we doing? Where does it all end? Where does this death, where does it lead to? Well, as you step back in the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four who wrote about Jesus' life and his ministry, death, and resurrection, it becomes obvious that Jesus knew exactly what was to happen to him. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was in complete control. He was leading all things and all people to this moment in history. Thus, while it appears to be the most weakest moments of his life, even as he hung on a tree, as we looked at last week, even as he breathed his last, it's actually his power, his authority, his supremacy, his dominion, his kingship that is on display. And no doubt, we see it clearly in his bodily resurrection. So last week, we looked at the crucifixion. We've been in this series, King Jesus. We've looked at the arrest, the denial, the trial. Last week, the crucifixion. Today, we're going to look at the resurrection, or as you can remember it as, the life. Jesus came back from the dead. He lives. Well, after his death, they took his body off the cross, they wrapped it, and they put it in a tomb. The grave was sealed, and that was it. Your follower of Jesus in that day, game over. It's all done. So much anticipation, so much expectation. Now dead in the grave. Perhaps them standing at the foot of that grave asking, What next? Well, literally just a couple days later, on Sunday, the first day of the week, the day after the Sabbath, the Sabbath for the Jews is Saturday. Ten of the disciples, Judas was not there, ten of the disciples were gathered in a room. And the doors, were told, were locked because they were afraid for their lives. The person they had just been following and placed all their hope, all their eggs in that basket, so to speak, had just been publicly slaughtered on a tree. So, of course, they're, they're in this room Behind locked doors, afraid for their lives. They're coming for us next. What's, what's going to happen? Where does, this, where does this death, where does it lead to? And then all of a sudden, this is really weird, mind you. Place yourself in that room. All of a sudden, what the women had already told them proves True. Jesus arrives there before them, right there in the room, doors locked. Jesus just appears among them. And as you read Luke's account of this, clearly they're startled. Clearly they're frightened. We we were just at your funeral. We saw you on the tree. We saw what you looked like. We saw what you went through. We were there at the funeral service. What's going on? How can you be here? You must be a ghost. You must be a vision. You must be a dream. You must be some kind of spirit or something like that. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's me. It's not a ghost. Behold, I am before you. Look upon me. See with your eyes the evidence before you. 
touch for yourself. And what they were beholding was the first act, something never seen in the history. They were looking, beholding what the first act was, what is next for all those in Christ, for the community of believers, for his church. Jesus was bodily raised. The body that was put into that grave was raised bodily imperishable. Bodily with immortality. Raised in honor and glory. His physical body down to a molecular atomic level with no hint, no effects of sin in it. Never to grow old and die. To live forevermore. Once for all, sin and death defeated. He is King Jesus. And this is what is next. This is what this death leads to for all those in Christ. Though you die, yet shall you live out of the mouth of Jesus himself. Those who love him and believe him, he says, will never die. So we look to bodily resurrection, the redemption of our bodies, Paul would say, a happily ever after and a new creation, a place that is warm and nice and pleasant, a beautiful, lovely place, no more sadness or misery or evil or death, something much more spectacular even than that sunny, warm day in East Texas. I mean, this is huge. It changes everything, everything you're witnessing in our world. Everything you're witnessing in our culture, everything you might be witnessing in your family, it changes everything. Jesus is alive. And this was very plain and evident to them in that room that day. So Judas wasn't there, but there was somebody else who was also not there in that moment with the others. And his name is Thomas. Thomas was not there. Now that's interesting. Out of all the disciples not to be present, Thomas. Now, why do I say it's interesting? Because if you go back to John chapter 14, you see the disciples in a room with Jesus, much like in John chapter 20. And the mood in John 14 is somber. He's talked about how he's going to be leaving them soon. He's told them about his betrayal and his own death. The mood is somber, it's dark, there's confusion, there's fear. And then, Jesus says this in John 14, 1, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Because they were troubled. But he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. That's impossible. In our cultural context of today, and in their context as well. I mean, it's hard to do in general. Just watch the news. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Just think about when you face a season of life, when you go through battles at work, or with health, or with a relationship, or when a loved one, you lose them, like a wife, a mother, a friend, a husband, a father, a brother. How can Jesus say this, don't let your hearts be troubled? Especially when he's talking about his own departure, his own death. Where does he come off? But then he goes on to say this. Listen, in my father's house are many rooms. If this were not the case, if this was false, if this were not so, then I, would I have told you 
that I go to prepare a place for you? Then he goes on, he says, listen, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And then I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. You know the answer to what's next. You know where I'm going. So here they are in a room. It's somber. There's mention of death and departure. And Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. And then he uses this marriage analogy. It's a picture of a groom who is engaged, connected to his bride. This is very common in that day and age where the groom would leave, go to his father's house, and prepare a place. This is where we're going to live. This is the guest house. And he goes and prepares a place for his bride. And the father gives the stamp of approval. It's finished. It's good. You pass inspection. Now go get your bride and come home. This is the analogy Jesus uses. The picture of a groom leaving and departing, but later returning for his bride. He's telling his followers, he's giving them a promise. Listen, you are my bride. And though you're going to face darkness, and you will face darkness, it's going to be painful. There's going to be a lot of sad moments in this life. People are going to betray you. People are going to treat you terribly. You're going to lose loved ones. You're going to face suffering and evil and death. It's a guarantee. But Jesus is saying, is, listen, you must know, though. You must rest in the fact that I'm coming back for you. This season of darkness, this season of pain or suffering or uncertainty, this loss, this evil, this death, is not the end. What it's leading to is a happily ever after if you will, for my followers, for my community of believers, for my church, for my bride. So Jesus is saying, don't be troubled, because this is my promise to you. Thus his voice, Jesus' voice, behold his voice, it's the voice of our beloved. Behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills, Our beloved, he's like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. Our beloved, he speaks and he says to us, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away with me. For behold, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come. Those were Solomon's words in the Song of Solomon, chapter 2. And they are just a glimpse of what Jesus is alluding to in John 14. A glimpse of the great reveal. The end of all things, as you see in Revelation 21. The revealing of the bride of the Lamb. My love, he says, I'm going away, but I'm coming back for you. And you know where I'm going. So trust me. 
But then, still in the room, Jesus says this, gives them this picture, this analogy. And then guess who speaks up? Thomas. Oh, Thomas. Wait, wait, Lord. We don't know where you're going. What are you talking about? We don't know what's after death and departure. We don't understand. How can we know the way? The way, so to speak, to this happily ever after. Thomas, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And nobody comes to the Father, this happily ever after, except through me. And Thomas was silent. And so here we are in John chapter 20, in a room, much like in John 14. And here's Thomas. And he's being told by the other disciples, the other ten, Thomas, we know, you know the darkness that we've been in. You know what we've just been through. You, you know what we've seen. But Thomas, Jesus is alive. We've seen him. We, we, we've touched. We, we've ate with him. He's alive, Thomas, just as he said. It's true. And what does Thomas say? What are you talking about? I don't understand. How can I know that's true? This is how it reads, verse 25. So the other disciples told him. They they continued to tell him the way the language is written. We've seen the Lord, Thomas. We've seen him. We've we've experientially seen him. There's evidence. There's proof. But he says to them, unless I see his hands, in his hands the mark of the nails, unless I place my finger into the mark of the nails, unless I place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Unless I see, unless I get to touch. And then eight days passes. Eight days excruciatingly long days if you're Thomas. What did Thomas think in those days? That entire week, what did he ponder? What did he remember? Perhaps he wondered, well, what's next? Where where does this, this death, where does it lead? Perhaps he was agonizing over the idea of a resurrected king and lord. We don't know, but we do know that the faithless one was forced to sit and waiting for eight long days. Just waiting, waiting. What next? What next? And then his disciples were inside again. And Thomas this time was with them. Here they are, the doors are locked again. 
But although they were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. Verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here. Touch. How Jesus knew that Thomas said this, we don't know. But Thomas, put your finger here. Touch. That's what you wanted. See with your eyes. See my hands. Put your hand here. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve. Behold, it's me, the resurrected king, the lion of Judah, the lamb that was slain, here before you. Don't be a faithless one. Don't disbelieve, but believe. And all Thomas can answer is, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, have you, have you believed because you've seen me? Well, blessed are those, and this would be you, because you haven't seen him with your eyes. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. In Salina, New York, a few years ago, there was a man by the name of Thaddeus. His friends called him Teddy. Teddy was 73 years old. He was born in Syracuse. He grew up there, went to college. Then he joined the Air Force. You got a lot of people here in the Air Force or retired Air Force. But then Teddy went and worked for the U.S. Postal Service. Then he opened his own landscaping business. He lived a full life. Well, one afternoon a few years ago, Teddy went out to just mow his yard. Did this every week, just like we mow our yards. It was 12:30 in the afternoon. Had just had lunch. Was going out to mow the yard. Gets atop his mower and begins to mow. Well, about that time, as he was mowing, a 28-year-old kid named Sean was driving along the street there by Teddy's house in his yard. Sean lost control of his car, and he hit Teddy sitting there on his lawnmower just another day. Teddy died on the scene. Tragedies happen like this every day. Every day, every hour, every minute. Only reminding us death is inevitable. You can think you got it all figured out, but it's inevitable. And your family will be left standing at your graveside wondering, what next? And such tragedies only remind us that we live in a world of chaos, confusion, crisis, doubts, darkness, evil. There's pain, there's suffering, there's death nearly everywhere you look. Wars, wildfires, floods, tornadoes, earthquakes, disease, death. And under all that chaos, all that pain and suffering, there's an underlying question that everyone asks. It gnaws at us, not every day, but quite often. The same question I asked in East Texas some 30 years ago. Maybe Teddy's family asked a few years ago. Maybe you asked just this past week. Or the same question Thomas asked in John 14. 
The same question, no doubt, that his disciples pondered and that Thomas agonized over for those eight long days. What's next? Where's all this madness and death really going? What's it all coming to? And could it be, is it possible, is he really alive? Is there really such a place, somewhere over the rainbow, if you will, where there's peace and joy and goodness and eternal life? A place where there's no more death, no more pain or suffering, no more broken dreams and hopes. And if he's alive, if such a place exists, how can we get there? Well, the message in that room... When Jesus showed up before Thomas, who had wondered in John 14, how do we get there? And no doubt wondered those eight days. The message that Jesus gave there before Thomas, it's the message of Easter. He is risen. Behold the King. The way, the truth, and the life. Behold, Thomas, the bodily resurrected Lamb and Lord. The one who invites you to stop disbelieving. Stop living faithless lives. But believe. Live by faith. And blessed, Thomas, are those who have not seen but who believed. Blessed are my followers, my community of faithful ones, my believers, my church, my bride, because for them, death is not the end. I'm coming back for them to take them home to a new reality, a place, a time, a reality in which I will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore because the former things will have passed away. For behold, the king On my throne who says, behold, I'm making all things new. And there, Thomas, in that reality and time and place, no longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God, my throne, the throne of the Lamb will be in it. And my servants will worship. And they will see my face and my name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. Because they will need no light of the lamp or the sun. For I, their Lord, their gods, will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. So behold, he says, I'm here, and I'm coming soon. Trust me, Thomas. Believe in me, Thomas. For I am alive. And that changes everything. So I want to invite the team forward as we get ready for this time of just response. Jesus arrived in that room and said, look upon me, touch, see for yourself, and believe. Well, he stands in this room today and he says the same thing. Behold the risen king. It's not an evidence issue, it's a heart issue. And the question still now remains, 
What's next for you? Believe or disbelieve? So I asked that question when I was four years old. I don't know who that lady was. She said, oh yes, he's with Jesus. Because he loved Jesus. Someday a four-year-old might stand at your grave and ask those around him, you think he's in heaven? What's the response? You better get it right because death is inevitable. Jesus has answered. He's alive, so stop disbelieving, but believe. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm going to pray. And if you need to respond in any way, maybe salvation, maybe baptism, maybe joining this body of believers, maybe just coming to pray, maybe you just need somebody to talk to. Even as I pray, you can come forward. Even after I pray, as we sing, you can come forward. But I want to be down here. The invitation is extended to you, whatever the Lord's leading you to do. Just be obedient to it. But Father, we come to you. We thank you for today. We thank you for Jesus, the Lion of Judah, the Root of David, the sacrificed lamb on a tree who's conquered our sin and death in bodily resurrection. The King, the Lord, Jesus. I pray that every person in this room would not disbelieve, but believe. You've shown us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to you except through him and by him. So may we not live faithless lives, but lives of faith in Christ. Bring salvation, bring renewal, bring healing. Bring a reminder of the hope that we have in Christ. That happily ever after is in store for his bride. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As you stand, as we sing, you come forward if you need to.